Good morning, everyone. Great to see you in church this morning at this feast of the baptism of our Lord. Um, We're an exciting time in the life of our church, Church of the Incarnation. A key text for us is John 1, and so John talks about how in the beginning was the Word, and how the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says that the Word came and made his dwelling among us. And we like how uh, Eugene Peterson translates that the word came and moved into the neighborhood. And we're in an exciting moment in the life of our church. We are getting ready to kind of move into the neighborhood. We're going to move a little bit further into the city, uh, a little bit closer proximity to neighbors that we are hoping to serve and to reach out to. And um, it's a beautiful time in the life of our church Uh, We have a mission statement, and that mission statement relates to the incarnation, but it also really relates closely to the season that we find ourselves in, the season of Epiphany. And we've got two icons here, one of the wise men and here of the baptism of our Lord. And both of these images are related to this word Epiphany, which really just means an unveiling or an uncovering. It's when God reveals himself to us. And of course, as Christians, we believe that's what Jesus did, right? Jesus came and he lived among us to show us what God was like. He was here to show us the beauty and the goodness and the truth of God. And because he came and because he died and because he rose again and because he gave us the sacrament of baptism, we get to be included in this family. And the crazy thing is he uses us, the people of God, his body on earth to show others what God's beauty and goodness is. And truth is like. And so that's an incarnation mission statement, but it's also very much an epiphany mission statement. We have to be an epiphany people. We're pointing people to Jesus, and Jesus used us to point others to show the world what Christ is like. So that's a little bit of vision, a little bit about who we are. I want to get into the text this morning, which is Matthew 3. 13 through 17. Have you ever had a surprise visit at work? Like you're there doing your thing and someone shows up unexpectedly. I had a surprise visit this week. Some friends showed up while I was at the office at Trinity Westside and I wasn't expected to see them. I was super happy to connect with them and have a spontaneous coffee uh, meet up with them. Have you ever had a moment where you're working and you didn't expect your boss to show up? And suddenly your boss is there. And maybe you were doing something you weren't supposed to, but maybe you weren't. I don't know about me. Like whenever I drive past the cop, even if I'm driving the speed limit, I'm like, ah, you know. You have one of those, oh, no, uh, daddy's home kind of moments. I still have those all the time, full disclosure. Um, We know what that's like. In our text this morning, John the Baptist is doing his job. He's doing what John the Baptist does. What does John the Baptist do? He baptizes folks, right? He preaches repentance. It's a hardcore message. We talked about him during Advent, right? And he baptizes folks. And he's there. It's probably just for him a regular day. He's like, I'm doing what I do. And suddenly the boss man shows up. And I can imagine that John is quite surprised by how the boss shows up. Not only that he shows up, but how he shows up. And we do the same thing, don't we? I don't know about you guys, but have you ever uh, 
been telling a friend about Jesus and that Jesus is real and that he's been real in your life and that Jesus can show him to you, right? And, and, and then when it finally happens, you're just like struck and you're surprised, right? That I can think of a friend that we had in uh, undergrad. Uh, she was a Swiss exchange, exchange student at our university for a year. And like so many of our Swiss friends, she was completely agnostic, raised in the Swiss church, but like totally did not believe, you know, for her, the Bible was a complete fairy tale. And, um, but for some reason, she liked our campus ministry. She liked the Christians that she found herself hanging out with. She came to our events. She got involved. She began to do things. And people shared their faith with her. And I shared my faith with her. And it went nowhere. And she was like, okay, that's not for me, you know. But over time, as she spent time with the people of God, the God who reveals himself revealed himself to her. And I'll never forget that spring at the end of her one year there, she called me up on the phone. And it was like, she couldn't even talk. Like, I can't talk now. And she was like, John, something happened. I started to follow Jesus. And she's following Jesus today in Zurich, Switzerland. And guess what? When she called me, I was shocked. <laughs> I was surprised. I was like, John. I was like, wait up, what? What happened? <laughs> Jesus really is real. He really shows himself to people. And so I wanted to start off with us for a reminder this morning. We have to keep praying. We've got to keep praying for our family. We have to keep praying for our friends. We've got to keep reminding them and ourselves that Jesus is real. Keep believing and trust that God in his own time is going to reveal himself and show himself to them just as Jesus shows up in the story this morning. Verse 14 says, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John, consented. Can you imagine how awkward it would be for Jesus to show up and ask for baptism? Like you just signed up to be on the prayer team, right? And then after communion, Jesus comes up and asks you for prayer. It's like, what do you do? Do you pray in Jesus' name? Like, how does that work, right? <laughs> it's a little awkward of a situation, as you can imagine. John would have prevented him. John isn't wrong. I mean, if anyone needs a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, like if that's what you are offering, right? That's what you offer for a living, a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, it is not the spotless lamb of God that needs to be baptized, right? To be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Why is Jesus coming out to get baptized? And why is this day such a big deal that in the life of the church, we remember this and celebrate it every single year? Well, these are good questions. And I'd like to start by stepping back and asking another question. Why is John even dunking people in the first place? Like, where does this idea of baptism come from? Because if you've read through the Old Testament, you'll notice God tells the people of God to do a lot of different things, right? There's all kinds of different things he tells them to do, but he never tells them once to be baptized. So why are these very Jewish people, right? This is before Jesus on the scene. Everyone in the story is Jewish. Why are they baptizing 
it's kind of like if you could imagine like 500 years from now, someone is reading history or like American literature, right, from this last century. And then they're reading like in the 40s, in the 50s. And then all of a sudden they get another book and it's, it's from the 2010s. And then all of a sudden people are mentioning the iPhone like out of nowhere, right? And you'd be like, what happened? Like suddenly there's this phone that everybody's like, you don't have to explain it when you talk about it. You just know what the iPhone is, right? It's kind of one of these moments. Like everyone actually in the story knows what this is about. But if we don't have this kind of little, um, this little history in between, we don't know what's going on. So this is what we do know when we look into the history of baptism. We actually have no record before John of Jews ever receiving baptism. But what we do have record of as converts of Judaism going through a purification rite in which they receive baptism, it is, it is a symbol of a cleansing of people who are Gentile and not clean, of them becoming clean and joining the people of God. And so what we have in this story is something amazing and something radical. These people, by coming out and believing John's message and by receiving baptism, they are Jews by birth, but they are actually acknowledging that because they have failed to keep the covenant, because they have failed to live according to God's good and beautiful and true and holy and loving ways, they have actually lived in the world as Gentiles. They have lived in the world as if they are not really children of Abraham. And so what they're asking John to do for them is that they're asking him to make them Jewish. They're saying, we want to belong to the people of God. We acknowledge that we have lived in a way that hasn't. And so they are, are saying, we want to be included in God's holy end time remnant people. Even though I was born into the right family, the family of Abraham, I'm lacking something that makes me a true child of Abraham. I am just as unclean before God as those Gentiles who are not permitted to go into the court of the temple. And so wash me in the Jordan. It turns out, if you know the history, it's a really surprising scene that this is happening. It's surprising and shocking that folks would come out to John's revival and that they would respond to his message. It's also surprising that so many people have come out to hear John. John is a major, history, a major person in the history of the Jewish people. In fact, we would know about John even if Jesus had never come. That's how big he is in history. A historic revival is shaking up Israel. It is about radical repentance. It's the kind of move of the Holy Spirit that we would expect if Israel's Messiah was about to come on the scene. And that is exactly what is happening. John would have prevented him, and you would have too. Jesus, hey, if anyone belongs to God's holy end time people, you, because you're the Messiah, right? Like the Messiah is by definition a part of this holy remnant of God. So why does he do it? Even stronger question we might ask, why does he need to do it 
to fulfill all righteousness. For those of you who know me, it goes without saying that I am not the best ever parent that there ever was. <laughs> and I say things to my kids that I shouldn't say. And there's one thing, <laughs> there's one thing that I find myself saying to my kids uh, lately more often that I probably shouldn't be saying. And it goes like this, like we're standing in a long line that if I'm honest, I really don't want to be waiting in to get into some place like, I don't know, Defy, a jump place that where, you know, you go to jump on trampolines and you pay a lot of money to do it. And um, you're standing in that long line and your kids are complaining about the line. And I find myself wanting to say, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for you. And it's true. I'm not doing it for me. Well, it turns out when you say that, it really kills the mood. I've noticed that. <laughs> it's like you're too honest about the fact that you really don't want to be there. You can't do that. So anyway, um, I'm learning, you know, as I go, which is good. And it's like a confession time here, which is good. I need someone to confess to. The River Jordan is dirty, and it's full of sin. And it's a place where desperate people who know they no longer deserve to be called God's children by virtue of having broken that covenant come to be remade and brought back into the family. And the true son of God, the spotless lamb of God comes down to the Jordan and he dips his body into that nasty sin-filled river. And he cleanses the waters of baptism. And we do this. We dip this. This is the Paschal candle, which means Easter candle. And we get a new one each year at Easter. And we light it. And at the baptismal liturgy in Easter, we dip that candle down into the waters of baptism to remind us that it's the body of Christ that sanctifies the waters of baptism so that those waters could sanctify us. The waters don't sanctify Jesus. They don't wash his sins. He washes the water. He's the one. It's his body and his spirit that sanctifies the waters of baptism. He goes into the water and he says, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for you. Every Sunday in the Nicene Creed, we confess, we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. That means there's only one baptism. That means my baptism isn't different from your baptism and our baptism isn't different from his baptism. When we're baptized, we're baptized into him. We're baptized into the Jordan. We are present there with him. Christ sees us as his sons, as his daughters, as his children, and whom we are well pleased. Christ does this for us, and he does it with us. And unlike me, he does it with a glad attitude, and he's happy about it. So what happens when Christ gets out of the water? The heavens are opened up. 
text actually says torn apart. It's a reference to Ezekiel. That's kind of you Bible nerds can look that up. Lori's going to write that down and go look at it. (laughs) Heavens are torn apart and the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove and there's light that's pouring down on Jesus and there's this voice from the Father that says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased We talk about the epiphany. There's two images of the epiphany I said. The first one is this icon because the Magi are not Jewish. And the official title for this is like the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. This is a big, long sentence that we could call the day. And it's a day to remember that Gentiles, people like us, get to be included in the family because Jesus started revealing himself to people who were far off from the people of God. That's an epiphany. Another epiphany is this, the epiphany of the Holy Trinity. Before this moment, we had no concept of the Trinity. And it's in this moment that people actually experience the Trinity for the first time in a way that's cognizant to them. Jesus is there. There's a voice of the Father saying, this is my son. And the Holy Spirit is present. It's an epiphany, something we could have never have known on our own the Trinity on full display. So what's the invitation for us this morning? Well, the first invitation is to join Christ in his baptism. Have you repented of your sins? Have you acknowledged that you have failed to live according to his good and beautiful and loving ways? Do you recognize that you cannot save yourself You need a savior. Christ lived and he died and he rose again so that you could be restored with the Father. And when you are baptized, you are adopted into Christ's holy family. And the same words are said over you. This is my child in whom I am well pleased, who I love. If you haven't been baptized, we want to get you ready for baptism. We have a whole season for that coming up called Lent. Lent is a preparation for baptism. And so if that's you, if you're in this place, you haven't been baptized, talk to us. We want to journey with you. We want to get you ready. We want to do this. It's a great time to get ready for this. Secondly, another way we can respond this morning, an invitation to renew our baptismal vows. And that's something we're going to do in just a moment Every year on this Sunday, we take a moment to renew our baptismal vows. And it's your chance to re-up your commitment to follow Christ, to live the baptized life, to be an agent and a messenger of good news. You're going to renew your commitment to resist evil and to serve your neighbor. And so you have this invitation this morning to reflect on what does it mean to be a part of this family? And what does it mean to, to like literally be a part of this family here on a Sunday morning? And what does it look like to live as a member of this family as you go out in the world? And then final invitation I want to name this morning, it's an invitation to step out in mission. And this is the thing that I was so struck by as I was reflecting on this story just amazed by Christ's willingness 
to identify with sinful people like me. The willingness of the clean and pure spotless lamb to jump into the dirty waters of the Jordan. And just amazed at his willingness to come our way. He could have come on the scene and said, hey, I'm too good for this. I'm too holy. You guys are sinners. You guys go get cleaned up and then you can come to me. But he didn't do that. He humbled himself. And he went down into waters that were only intended for sinners. And friends, I want to remind you that Christ identifies with sinners. He's a friend of sinners and he's not afraid to touch them. He's not afraid to be with them. He's not afraid to get into the river with them. And so we have to decide as a church, are we going to be the kind of people that are always wanting to point the finger and just say, hey, look how bad those people over there and look how much better we are and aren't we glad we aren't like them? Or instead, are we going to be the kind of folks that get into the river? And I'm not just talking about being tolerant or unjudgmental. And I'm certainly not talking about being morally relevant or permissive. Our sin is real. That's why Christ has come on the scene. I'm talking about living as people who know they're sinners that are saved by grace. People who have been filled by the Holy Spirit and sent on mission. And we are called to be present to those who are outside of our walls to sinners and to let them know that we have found the source of revelation. The invitation here is simply to become more like Christ, to be friend of sinners, like Christ who identified with us sinners in every way. And so now he sends us out as his agents to go and make disciples of all people baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything he has commanded. Amen.